Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Alright everybody, welcome back to another undoubtedly riveting episode of The Pod Has Spoken. Here we are, episode 9, season 42, the new era of Survivor. And here, as always, my co-host, Riley McAtee. Riley, uh, since the NFL draft, I assume you've been able to kick your feet up and just kind of relax and looking forward to Wednesdays now as your uh, primary workload. That's very true. We're, we're getting there. I still have a few odds and ends to wrap up for the NFL and for fantasy football and stuff, but it's getting slower. But Tyson, yes. this is a huge week for us. Do you know why? Uh, one year? No, because High went home and we called it last week. I think this might be the first time ever that we were right on who the next boot is going to be. Dude, spoiler alert uh, for those who listen to the podcast but don't watch the t- television show, don't High do that. went home. <laughs> and... Uh, I guess this is the first time we've ever predicted it. I don't really keep tabs. I don't even remember what I said last week. I just keep rolling through. I remembered because I was going to tribal council with my fingers crossed like this is going to be the week. <laughs> just You were hoping that I went home just solely because we'd picked him? Yeah. I finally get to look smart about this show. Oh my gosh. We're geniuses. Real geniuses here. And uh, with us is another genius. I think... Uh, not only self-proclaimed, but uh, universally known and revered as a genius of sorts. Uh, the one and only Christian. Christian, I've never pronounced your last name in H- my Hubicky, entire life. Hubicky. Hubicky. Yeah. I was going to say Hubicky, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's a good cover for me. I was definitely going to say Hubicky. Riley, what were you going to say? <laughs> yeah, Hubicky. I knew you all would say Hubicky. It, it just it rolls off the tongue. It really does. Oh, that, that, that's that. Though, thank you very much for the introduction, and also thank you for the invitation to be here. It's, it's wonderful to be here on uh, on the pod and spoken. And uh, I don't think I've necessarily proclaimed myself as a genius. At least, uh, hopefully, that didn't make error if it did. On but the show. in your brain, you, uh, I'm assuming you feel like you're a genius. <laughs> I, that's how I feel about myself. I just assume uh, 
that's the way it goes. No, is that how, is that is that how your theory of mind works, Tyson? That everyone sort of does the same thing in your in their mind as you. Is that how it works? And now I think I'm getting a lot of insight into how you view the world. I, I mean, I don't think that everybody thinks they're a genius, but I think if you're self aware enough and you have common sense and you think very literally and efficiently, that in some corner of your brain, you must feel like you're a genius to some capacity. You need to be self-aware to also think you're a genius? No, either completely self-aware or completely uh, unself-aware. Those gotcha. are the only two uh, people that will consider themselves geniuses. Those are the extremes of the spectrum. Those are the geniuses, which makes which kind of makes sense and, and if I, when I think about it. But yeah, but it's great to be here. I look forward to digging into this episode with a big result of Travel Council. Yes, uh, it was exciting. Another exciting episode. Uh, first of all, how have you been liking the season and this new 26-day format, new era of Survivor, twists and turns. Are you a fan? So I, there are things I like and things that I and things I think that they, I think they'll they'll patch over time. Like I the way I always see the way production handles the show is they're experimenting more. Okay. And uh, I always look at like, what are they trying to accomplish with these changes? Certainly the length of the show. That could certainly be an artifact of, of quarantine, but it's also something that could just stay for all we know. I mean, they might decide, hey, we get plenty of content on 26 days as opposed to 39. I wouldn't be surprised if that stays. And I'm not sure how much the audience notices the difference yet. So, uh, I mean, I, I'd be curious to, to see. Um, in terms of the twists and turns, I, I, I try to pull out what they're trying to do. And one of the big ones is what happens at the merge, you know, time travel aside, that's a different discussion. But uh, the fact that like they will do the, the twist where they will uh, make certain people immune and others not immune, like half will be immune. I think that they're trying to fix things like eh, the merge boot has been kind of a easy pickoff boot in the last several seasons. How do we fix that? Oh, we'll, we'll do this twist. I think that I'm, we're starting to see the places where it, where it works and the places where it l- works less well. I think we'll get to next week, which I guess we'll get to at the end of the, of the podcast, of what they're doing next week. Anyway, some pluses, because I think it has made the merge episode more exciting. Uh, so, And uh, we can talk more details as we go forward. Perfect. I uh, Yeah, I, I think I personally don't see the 26-day format ever leaving, unless they're doing something special. Like uh, in 10 years, they're like, and a return to 39 days for one season only. Like that's now going to be the novelty is the 39 day season at some point, maybe, uh, but 26 days is here to stay. I uh, thinking rationally and logically and commonsensically and, uh, all of those, why wouldn't they just keep that? Uh, and, uh, let's get into this episode. Uh, we always start back at camp at night and it is, uh, raining and I love to see it. I love to see the rain on survivor. I've been miserable in the rain myself, and I love you know how misery loves company. Is this is this another way that you project onto others, Tyson? You felt miserable in the uh-huh. rain. You want others to feel miserable. Okay, I understand that. Make that makes a lot of sense. So that, but yeah, it is miserable. Yeah, that's for sure. I think that people's truest colors come out uh, in on Survivor. Obviously, it's like a bubble and stuff. But when you have pushed them, you know they're starving. They're sleep deprived. They're surrounded by a bunch of personalities they may not really necessarily enjoy. And now on top of that, they are in the rain constantly. You get to see what people are like when they're 
at their lowest and weakest. And so I think that's, especially being there in person, I love being the audience, even though I'm also experiencing it. I love to be like, okay, this, this guy's about to snap. Let's see what he does when he snaps. I can see who this person is and what their heart is like when they're, you know, really pushed up against the wall. And I don't know why I love that so much, but like, for me, that is one of the draws of actually going and playing survivor is being witness firsthand to, uh, people breaking. Well, it's a reveal- it's a revealing in, in terms of people's authenticity. You know, like when you people are hitting the island, I imagine, especially in these new player seasons, they're on their best behavior. They're they're being the person that they want to put forward because they feel like this is what they need to be to be successful in the game. With with a few exceptions, that's how people 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 act. Uh, but then, it, but at some point, it's got to give way, and it's either it's, it's either the stress of having uh, been left out of a vote at a tribal council or something, or it's or or it's the elements. And uh, most most of us don't spend a lot of time starving. Most of us don't spend a lot of time in the rain. I, I, I would tell people when they ask what the worst part of the survivor is in terms of mechanics of the, in terms of the, the mechanics of being out there, it says the rain. And for all the reasons that the characters here described, I mean, the wind cuts at you. It just, it, it, it's hard to explain to someone the feeling what it's like to never be dry. And when you're out of that element, the true colors show. Yeah. And it's uh, it's fun to be witness to that. And uh, we get a little bit, a bit of that this episode, but I think for the most part, uh, all the contestants held themselves together in the rain. We're there, and High talks about getting out Rock's his biggest target. I thought his biggest target was Romeo. Did that just shift in an in a instant there, or did he convince himself that Rock's was his biggest target? Because I clearly remember him wanting Romeo gone. It, it could be one of those sort of shifts of, uh, of of mental focus while you're out there. Like one moment you have one thing, one moment you have another priority. But or it could be the old Texas sharpshooter fallacy: you shoot at the wall and uh, and then you draw a target around the bullet hole. You know, yeah. maybe that's a, that's always a good strategy. Is like <laughs> what went down is exactly as I planned, exactly as how I planned it. That, that's possible. How what, what could be going down? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I um, was a little surprised that Ty actually went home. I, I go just building through this whole arc of the episode. They they set up, you know, that that High was claiming to be in charge. You know, it was like the vote went down the way I wanted. He appeared to be in charge. Talked about how like talked about how he felt in charge. Normally, I would say, you know, twenty. 15, 20 years ago, Survivor, you're like, okay, this is a classic setup for a boot. You know, there's someone's going home, you know, but this is more recent. Crazy things happen to the point where like things kind of settled on him as a target and they floated this idea of Jonathan going home. And I'm like, that can't be happening, right? Where are the votes for this? I was thinking like, like, I mean, Omar talked about, you know, it's like, oh, maybe I'll flip it up. You know, to maybe since High's on the bottom, he's an opportunity now. It's like I, I understand the principle that makes I, I get what you're getting at, Omar. But uh, like, who is going to vote for this? I mean, are you going to suddenly shift all the votes one way? He very well could have, but we saw no episode, evidence of the episode. So it's all kind of like, is this actually happening? Yeah, High's gone. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was very straightforward. I was also expecting like a twist from editing at the end, and uh, didn't get it. The one thing I wanted to touch on that was the most notable to me was the difference in Omer talking to Mike versus high talking to Mike at night. High kind of went to him and said, you're good, Mike. That was great. Thank you for doing what I was, you know, planned and, you know, don't feel bad. We got him." And Omer was very sympathetic to Mike's feelings and drew him in. And I think that there, a lot of, 
for me, like when I play Survivor, I played multiple times. It's always important to put the person you're talking to first in every instant, every scenario. If there's an alliance and Christian, you're on the bottom of this thing, you don't know it. I'm counting you as number one. You're number one. Christian, me, whoever else. And that's and when I talk to Riley, Riley, it's you, then it's me, then it's everyone else. And I don't think that High necessarily is doing that. He's feeling very confident and is now making these mistakes that lead ultimately to his demise here at the end of this. Yeah, you're right to point out a lot of the contrast between Omer and High. It felt to me this episode like it, like those were in this episode the two power players that were coming to a head. So pointing out the, so contrasting the two's approaches, I think it's really smart. And I, I, I kind of want to zero in on another thing that 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 Omar talked about when he was when he was talking to Jonathan, which I thought was interesting. I wasn't sure what to think of it. He sort of said, "Mike, I'm a little concerned that you're concerned about the vote, right?" And so that's a that's a scary thing to hear. Uh, that you're like, hmm, how much are you very much in this alliance? And that's a, so it's it's oddly straightforward, but it seems to work with Mike to the point where he's he, he still worked with Omar. Uh, and I'm, I'm so glad I'm talking about this episode with you, Tyson, in particular, because a couple of things jumped to mind immediately of you and how Omer handled some of these situations. I like, like we, we have Omer and Mike and how he handled Mike at tri- right after the tribal, but then there's also the reward. And he came up with the, with the, 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 the titular lie for the episode and coming up with a plausible lie. And maybe, and I thought that maybe something, something you might shed some light on, on your strategy for this. Cause I always remember listening to you talk. How you would have to come up with lies on the spot sometimes, like people would like. I, I, and uh, I remember one thing. You maybe I hope it was you that said this. That like if someone comes up up to you and says, "I heard you're gunning for me," and that someone told me that, that, that this person told me that you're gunning for me, and it, it, the the move that that you would do is you would just fire back on them. Well, that's what they told me about you. And so it's like, like oh, that's plausible. Everyone's going after each other. That's a yeah, okay, they're at fault. Yes. And it works like a charm uh, to anybody comes to you with information and you just say, oh, I was heard. I heard the same thing about you towards me. And then now you're unified against this person who may or may not be telling the truth. And it doesn't matter in that moment because now they are like, OK, I got this information. He got identical information that works all the I've seen Kim use it. I've seen multiple people use it. It's very hard to combat if you are the one that's caught out by it, because now you have to somehow convince someone that, no, you only said it about one person, not multiple people. Um, and then the other uh, thing that uh, is you can get caught up in here is that like, if you are the person to bring information to someone first, no matter if it's a lie or truth, you are going to be the more trusted person. So, uh, and I think Omer does that too, it kind of in this same light, we're going to the, all the way to the reward where they're enjoying pizza and beer out of the rain. And Omer, you know, says, uh, says that, uh, he tells Mike that hi said that he was, that Mike was his puppet and would do whatever he said. Not true, but very plausible. And Omer then also says like, if you're going to lie, you got to tell a smart lie, not a stupid lie along those same lines. You have to time your lies and you have to keep your lies straight. There's a lot to lying in Survivor. Uh, Riley. I have, a, I have you, a question for you guys about Omer. 
Yeah. Which is that I, I can't remember another contestant who comes across so differently in the way that he talks to the other contestants versus his confessionals. Because he's so warm and friendly and inviting when he's talking to people and he's really good at making them think the idea that he has is actually an idea that they share or is the other person's idea. And he's just sort of like flowing like water from one contestant to the other. It's like so natural. And then it always cuts to a confessional and he's like cackling about his villainous plan that he's come up with or whatever. And I'm like, I can't even decide. He's, I think he's a brilliant player so far, but I can't even decide if he's like sort of a survivor villain because of the way that he's just like kind of setting people up and misleading people and knocking them down. Or if he's just like, I don't know, like a super impressive player and actually is like also a, a like great person too, because he's so good socially. It's just, I'm, I'm like wildly impressed watching him. And I'm wondering if there's, it, it, does he remind you of anybody that you've played with or seen on survivor? So, uh, I mean, you, the, I think that, um, I don't have a good analogy for for him uh, from my time out there. I think the closest one might be I, I, maybe two of the people who came closest to winning my season, either Nick or Mike White. And, and, but this is sort of a stretch because uh, because Mike, I'll, I'll talk about Mike in particular because he would had a way of like he he would be everyone's really like, like confidant, and I and I didn't know the degree to which he was just slamming. In like in the like or like or in the confessionals or, or, or plotting. So, and, and I think that uh, like Nick had a different vibe. Like there's some people I think who has a, di- a different way of putting a mask on. Like Nick's mask is I'm uh, this aw shucks Southern folk guy. I mean I mean I, I know Tyson spent at least some time with Nick. I mean, I'm not sure if, if 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 his experience comports with that. I think that that is his real character. I don't think that he's, I don't think that's his mask. <laughs> I think, I think you got duped by an, oh, shucks, Southern guy. Which and, is- and, I, and I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to take that, but I, I, I also do have to point out, like the guy did come up with like a minority split vote plan on Survivor 37 that was really brilliant. Like, and so like he has that smarts behind the scenes. Right. And also like, you know, but like in, in his voting confessionals, he would do things like he would do, like he would try to talk like Johnny Fairplay. Like he tried to put on a persona of a villain. So I see people being duplicitous, but not in the way where people are, you're describing Riley, where they're so personable and seemingly well-liked and also by the way, non-threatening. The fact that he appears non-threatening at this stage in right now is, I'm sure is a godsend to him. What about Cochran uh, a little bit, maybe? That's a good analogy. Uh, let's, let's see. Co- Cochran, what was he like? I mean, you, you never played with him. I never right? played and, with him. And so, um, like, I wonder what he was like around camp. I mean, people liked him. He was jokey, yeah. you know, and funny. Maybe that's a maybe that's a that's a pretty close analogy. Yeah, maybe. I, and I think his, his season that he won, I think he also had to get more personal. But I think that Omar, what he's doing here and what uh, what I think is the goal is that there's. 17, I think this is a season of 18. There's 17 other people here. They're all different personalities. They all need something different from you. And you have to be able to keep that straight and also understand what they need from you and give that to them emotionally, socially, whatever supportive thing you need to do to make them feel comfortable and draw them into you. And that is a true balancing act because people can go in and be one dimensional with everybody. And that doesn't work for everybody because everybody needs something a little different. And I think Omer is very, very good at that. And not only is he good at that, he's good at recognizing that he's good at that. And that is where the self-awareness comes in. And that's where those confessionals come in, Riley, is him saying, 
I'm good at this. Yeah. So Tyson, did you ever have anyone where it was a season where you got back and once you watched this the show and you saw what the person was saying in confessionals, you were like, whoa, I had no idea they were thinking about the game like that. Because I feel like that's gonna that was happen. Me. That, that, that was, was you? people that's calling other people me and thought like, about you. Yeah, okay, guy. I see you. <laughs> yeah, that was me. Uh so like I get it and I and I like it. Like I think I think when you're casting for a show like this, you want honesty in the confessionals, especially production wants that. And what they're getting from Omer is that like, he's telling the truth behind the scenes. Sure. He's putting on this little bit of mask. It's probably sincere to a certain degree with these people. Cause there has to be a level of sincerity there, but then behind the scenes, he can say, this is why I'm doing this. And this is what's working. And this is how I'm doing it. And he set himself up perfectly by having, so many great relationships with people. A lot of people also take that for granted is they go out to these shows and they find their circle and they stick with their circle more tightly than anybody else. And then their circle all of a sudden is getting demolished and they have to scramble somewhere and it doesn't work because now it's seen as desperation where Omer has positioned himself with everybody, even the people on the bottom, so that when something maybe gets turned on its head, He's still in a position to work. I think in the modern show, that's pretty well understood that you can't just have a click. I mean, that you, I mean, there, there was a time where, uh, where the show felt a little more like a microcosm of like when you put just 20 random people in a room together, there'll be a click, you know, and, 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 and they'll get together and there'll be the popular kids and the not popular kids. I think that now people understand that the unpopular kids, quote unquote, uh, have votes. Theoretically, in this season, they may have lost them, but uh, but 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 that's and so there is a lot of fluidity there to the point where when Omar Omer talks about flipping the vote around, that's a almost a believable thing in this modern era, and for him especially. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. So it's in character for him. I mean, he flipped around the vote at the merge, and also the show in terms of presenting this as being, uh, yeah, mostly straightforward, high blindside, maybe an outside chance of Jonathan. Back to the went for the thing that was set up. That's good. If you if they always duped you, then you would know to be duped and therefore not duped. So and you have to keep the randomness flowing. And I think this was a good opportunity to do that, especially with with with, with an impactful player on the season like High. I do kind of want to maybe zero back in on High because this is his, his boot episode a bit. Um, I, I thought one thing I thought was really interesting, and and, I, and I'm curious hear your thoughts on this, Tyson, is how people play differently on offense as opposed to defense on this game. Like it seems like high ever, ever since he got power uh, in his first tribe after sniffing out this, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the, the vote that wasn't going his way, he was like in power and seized power. What, what, in a in a really impressive way, but once he started playing on top, I think that it really felt like, yeah, I'm running everything. I'm running everything. And he's completely unaware of what's going on around him. And I think that's what we saw the consequences of tonight, that he was on defense and didn't realize it needed to be on defense, but didn't realize it. Right. And I think that it often happens. Like the person on top gets too much power. They get greedy. They see the money. And I don't think it's that they get too cocky. I think it's that they get too comfortable and stop working to the degree that they were working. It's like uh, you when you're on top, you have to still maintain the democracy 
of your alliance and your sub-alliances and everything all the way down the chain. And I think that we saw High here, whether it was editing or not, had kind of decided he's running the show and started addressing people as if he were the leader in those moments, the way he talks to Mike, the way he talks to everybody. Well, even like Jonathan, after Jonathan knew that High was the plan and High came and was like, I'm going to be your savior. Like the, all of that stuff, it compounds on itself. And I think you can be in the driver's seat as long as people feel that they're driving with you. But at the point where your own alliance sees you view yourself as driving it by yourself and you're pushing your agenda a little too hard, then that is when it comes crumbling down. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll jump in on that, like, putting yourself in the position of a player who's been on the show, especially if it's, you know, your first time out there, your experiences are incredibly finite in Survivor. You've had a very few number of votes that you've probably been through, maybe two before the merge maximum, and then you have a couple that that you've maybe survived at the merge, like, high at this point. And it's easy to try to draw patterns where they're not valid. They're like, oh, I, this is how I felt before the last vote. You know, things are fine. Like, this is how I handle people. Then it will work again. Once it starts to feel routine, that's when you, it's easy to feel, to forget that, that the dynamics of this vote are probably entirely different from the last vote. So Christian, as a scientist, you're saying that two to four votes isn't a large enough sample size to really <laughs> get. The- I think that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> okay. Getting at, yeah. <laughs> And this is what I'm getting at, Tyson. Uh, and so it's, as a scientist, what you need, you need at least 30 votes or so. That's how it uh, As a poker player, you need 10,000 hands before. <laughs> well, I mean, and yeah. that's, that's one of the things that's really interesting. I mean, uh, like on like a – or take baseball, for instance. I mean, baseball statistics are so powerful. They came up with safer metrics decades ago. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to – okay, everyone stand back. I'm going to try to use sports metaphors. Let's do but, it. You know, so people might get injured in the process. Maybe, maybe maybe my my ego, but the uh, but like there's you know thousands of games for some of these players, right? That's why you have statistics on them. We have nothing, even on even on, even you played four times, Tyson, and you've been on. I mean, you probably maybe have enough tribal councils to have some kind of statistically relevant sample, kind of sort of maybe, right? So that probably that, not. Pro- probably not. Probably not. Because there's so many variables. Yes, exactly. And so, and that's what makes this interesting in that everyone has to, is, is out of any place of certainty. There's no statistical certainty, that's for sure. Uh, so and let, let alone certainty about what everyone else is doing. That's one of the beauties of the show. And so that analogy that ironically high made, which is that you're running a long distance run, uh, while blindfolded, that, that's a pretty good analogy. For I like that analogy and, too. Yeah. I mean, you're, 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 you're like a distance athlete. So you probably have felt that that need how to pace yourself. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. And I liked uh, Marianne's analogy too of Jenga and taking the piece that the other person wants. Is it too soon to take that piece? Will the whole thing come crumbling down? I remember certain confessionals, especially on Blood versus Water, where I was like, I can feel the ship falling apart. I'm steering this ship. Parts are falling off of it. Have I timed it correctly enough that by the time it disintegrates into the ocean, I'm at the final? Or have I done it too soon and it comes crumbling down a couple votes before I can get to the end? And I think that that is uh, 
with high and also Marianne's analogies at tribal council, that is what you're aiming for. Like you want to slide into the dock at finals as everyone has figured you out. That's like the perfect timing. Like they're coming for you now because they understand you're in charge, but it's too late and you've made it to the end. And, and on that subject, I mean, it's, it, I think the most relevant the person to talk about in that context is Omer. Uh, we'll talk. I, I want to make sure I'm talking about Marianne because she's a fantastic confessionalist. I'll, I'll talk back to that at some point. She's really good. And um, and but Omer is someone who it seems that to our eyes, no one's on to him. And and, and so which is, you know, is it you're describing he needs to be found out if he's going to get to the end and is going to win. He has to let everyone realize what's going on at the right time. And. I think he's still got that window to do it. I think that the high blind side works out really well for him because like, let's say Mike, let's say Mike ends up on the jury. There was this lie about what high had told. And then, then, and so, so uh, Mike comes out to Ponderosa and talks to high is like, hi. And, and high is like, Mike, why'd you come after me at that vote? That was a terrible move or whatever. At the timing for you was terrible. It's like, well, you told Omer this, I didn't tell him that. Then they put it together at trial uh, at Ponderosa that what Omer was doing. That's a possibility for him. But if he say so, as long as long as he sort of pokes his head out enough near the end without getting it lopped off, he's at a great, you know, it's, it's, it's he's got a he's in a great position. Yes, and it's tricky, like because you see, you've seen so many final tribal councils where someone sitting at the end says, "You didn't see all the things I was doing." Guess what? That's their fault. They should have shown it. They have to show it. The wheels literally have to fall off the thing as you get to the finals. Like that's the most certain way to win this game is to be like, surprise everybody. I'm in charge the whole time. We have one tribal council left and it's too late to do anything. Yeah. I mean, it's a game of persuasion and many, many times it boils down to persuasion. And if you ignore the fact that you have to make a case to them earlier on and the dynamics of how people think, uh, yeah, then of course you're not going to do well. Uh, one, one thing that the show is, is, I mean, I'd say the one confounding factor that's really difficult, I would say, for um, uh, for the players is that the dynamics of that jury house are very difficult to predict at times. Like, it's it, it, so difficult. And, and for the audience, too, we don't really have any insight as to what's going on back there. So sometimes people come into this final tribal council and the audience is like, wait, wait, what? what? Why do they love this character? I I have no idea why. I mean, they don't have cameras following around. They're not. They don't film the jury house for the show. Uh, so they, I think that there's. I think if the show is looking for some format changes, finding a way to get some jury opinions to the audience uh, in a, in a way that's organic could work. I'm not sure you have to show what the Ponderosa is like during the main show, but you know, right now the jury walks in. You know, at, before or after the contestants. I think they're actually sitting there before the contestants get there now. And why not have just like like 20 seconds of them talking? Oh, what do you think is going to happen tonight? It's like, well, I sure hope that Omar goes home. He's responsible for my blind side. Some little glimpse might help us as the audience. This could be like like good extra content that CBS should put on like Paramount Plus or something. Like I've thought that they should do like two episodes a week where one episode's on CBS and one episode is like an extra like, oh, we're going to like basically a compilation of deleted scenes from this episode it won't affect the main plot. If you're just watching on CBS, it'll be fine. But here's for the super fans. And like a portion of that episode could be stuff that's happening at Ponderosa with the jury. How, how cool would that be? Yeah. And especially now, because the first couple times I played Christian, you were not allowed as a jury member to talk 
about who you were going to vote for and why in the jury house. They had handlers sitting in between you and conversations, constantly snuffing that stuff out. In the modern era, you rile someone up bad enough and they go to the jury house, they are campaigning against you for two weeks straight. And then that's a really tough spot to be in. On the opposite side, if you've played such a game that people respect it, you have somebody go out and start campaigning for you, even though you got them out. And I think that that helped me on Blood versus Water is that by the time I got to the end with Jervis and Monica, even though people, there's people that hated me for the, what I did to them in the game, they understood that it was gameplay and it was strategic on my part. And that if they didn't vote for me, then they would look like they did not vote for the best player at the final. And I think that uh, that can help, but it can also hinder uh, someone's chances. And it could be something personal. Like I think last season, Xander not getting any votes was partly due to the fact that he slighted Ricard by teasing him with that idol play that he didn't end up playing for him. Ricard goes out and is upset, like rightfully so. Like he said he was going to play an idol for me because we're bros. And then he doesn't like, what was the point of him even saying he was going to play an idol for me? There was none. And so uh, I don't know how much validity there is to that, but I could, if I were Ricard, I would definitely be not on the Xander train at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, and there's a lot to be said about how you send people to the jury and, and you can make some predictions as to who would be your advocate or who you would not be. And sometimes that can be bang on. Like I, like I, and uh, what, and I think that, it's sort of an extension of the game uh, on the island proper, in the sense that uh, in the island, on the island, this is this is very appropriate to this good lie, bad lie episode, and that there is what's actually happening as best as you can see it. Then there's this sort of this sphere of pseudo truth around it that you could spin, sort of like the radius that you can make things believable, right? They come with a believable lie, like we talked about before. Um, there's sort of there's sort of like a, and when it comes to the jury house, there's a similar thing. Which sort of like a radius of narratives, like about these people. Like, what is it? Was this person uh, a sly under, under the radar player or a coattail rider? Like, those are very close and adjacent, right? And you gotta do what you can to nudge it in the direction that you need. And um, and so th- this is where the games sort of feed back on each other because you have the end game where you can lie about what High said, then send someone send High to the send High packing. He comes back, he goes to the jury, and he can you know, tell his version of what's happening there. Uh, additionally, when you're in the game, you can lie to the people in the game about what you think the people on the jury think about you. You know, it's, it's this sort of this feedback cycle uh, that, that makes it really deep. I find it really interesting. Yeah, and I used that read from the jury on Blood versus Water to convince Jervis and Monica to stick with me. I said, the jury hates me. I can tell they hate me. They won't look at me. They sneer at everything I say. Every time I say something, they roll their eyes. Your best chance is to go to the end with me because they hate me. And if they hate me, they probably hate you. But now it's just a game of who do they hate least. And that read was not fully correct, but I also didn't need it to be. I just needed to Did you to believe get to the it end. was correct? Or you just I did believe it. partly that it was correct until... Tribal Council started, and I realized that everybody uh, applauded the game I had played mostly. So I think that the jury at this point, they're sitting on the bench, and we may not even see it 
ever really materialize in the game, but it is leverage you can use to keep yourself in the game. Oh, the jury hates me. Oh, they want so-and-so to win. It's what, you know, like you can spin it however you want because the jury cannot speak to you in the game. There is no point, Riley, uh, behind the scenes or anything where the jury can verbalize anything to any of the players in the game. What would Jeff do if, if somebody on the jury just said something? He'd Probably lose tear their his mind and say a yeah. ton of curse words. Yes, yes, he would. None of that. So would many, so many aggressive, angry curse words directed specifically at you. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the you know Jeff takes the game very seriously and uh, and the quality of the show very seriously. If things go on, if you're if you're threatening those things, uh, the in terms of Jeff handling the jury, like you know he's. He really commits, I think, to integrity of the game stuff. I remember uh, at, at our final tribal council, uh, Gabby was really torn over who to vote for. So she kind of like ran off and had, she's like, I need a minute. I need a minute to think. And Jeff came up to her. He's like, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. Just take your time. Take all the time you need to think about it before you go vote. That's it. So uh, and that's and so like he cares about that, that that sort of thing. So like Gabby, you have the space you needed to make a good jury vote. Now, if you so if you were to then start doing overt signals like sure he does little signals all the time they'll wink at you i imagine tyson probably caught a lot of things from he probably observed the jury a lot and winners at war especially as the entire jury was also on the edge of extinction and was rooting for me at that point as i won my way back in and as arguments would break out in the jury i'd give them like a thumbs up like it's not me these guys are fighting each other and the jury <laughs> like boston rob would be like yeah dude this is crazy and it was crazy that like i just sat there and i was like i think it's me tonight because i won my way back in and people already voted me out once and then all of a sudden like adam and sarah are fighting and i'm looking over at the jury being like it's not me i know it's not me they're fighting too hard and so uh yeah there was a few moments like that as well but if someone sees the jury looking at you like that, then it's like, well, you got to get this guy out. We yeah, can't be at the sure. end of Tyson. I was openly applauding him. Yeah. Oh, they already understood that. They knew that I'm one of the few people that you would never want to take to the end of Survivor. I'm too lovable. Noted. Oh, that's obvious. You didn't have to say that. I just <laughs> that. The, uh, and uh, when it comes and, uh, and sort of take you back to this episode with the jury, like, like I'm trying to look at this final seven we're at now, right? And like who... From the jury's eyes at this point, you know, actually, who's on the jury? That's probably a better question. Who are they looking at and like, oh, like, and are kind of quietly or maybe not so quietly rooting for to win? And I'm not sure I have a good answer to this, Tyson. And I, I, I so, yeah, I mean, I mean, who did some, I mean, Rock, I mean, who's on the jury? You've got Chanel and Roxroy and Tori and, and now uh, High. So you got four players there. You have to... It's it's very interesting because like I've never heard that actually that question before in this you look at it and you think it's it's really tough because Omer hasn't exposed himself yet. He hasn't shown like I'm the guy driving this uh, like this is all the things I've done. So they're probably unaware of what he's doing. Uh and I think in general the jury is rooting for the underdog. I think if there's a likable underdog that's whose team they are on. So in High's mind, who blindsided him? Well, basically everyone. Did anyone vote with him? I mean, technically, did someone vote through a vote, another vote on Jonathan? I forget. I, it I was didn't. Romeo. Romeo? Yeah, it was Romeo and High that were the two Jonathan votes. So, so is Jonathan now on alert? Because the vote was essentially split on him. Jonathan's got to always be on alert, though. Anytime he doesn't win immunity, it's like he's he's the easy name. 
I, I, I got to say, uh, I, I, I was curious. I had a lot of reads at the tribal council on Jonathan. I mean, clearly there was that moment he was kind of spooked. And I love to tell, tell people like what, what when I, like it's like, oh, the cool, some of the most interesting politics, like, like the, there's a lot more to what's being said at tribal council than like the surface level of what's being said. They're trying to, trying to drive a narrative that fits with all the stories that everyone thinks is happening or, or you're sending a certain message. And I was, and I was, and when Lindsay, I believe it was Lindsay who said that thing about getting rid of people that, uh, uh Even that can get field. out of the way. Even the playing field, right? I mean, clearly she, at that point, she knows she's voting for high. So she's intentionally sending the message, as you should, that, oh, I, I, I almost thought it's not, it's not high, right? And so, and, 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 uh, and I, uh, to the point where it's like, oh, that was, I was, that was more direct than I typically hear at a tribal council to the point where, like, if I'm high, I'd be like, what is, what is, or like, what does Lindsay say? This, you're learning, John. You don't want to play his shot in the dark. What are you doing? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, and, uh, I mean, I want to jump to tribal council, but first I want to go through the challenges real quick here. We have the reward challenge. Lindsay wins. She gets to choose two players. This is always a pivotal part in Survivor. And I've always been of the, uh, mindset that, you purposely do not want to win rewards because you don't want to be put in the position to choose. But if you do have to choose, like let's say you try to lose, you still win because you're so good. You need to choose people that are far from you because you want to leave the people you trust the most at camp to manage camp while you're managing somebody else. And I think if you, you have to obviously have someone you trust enough to do that or that understands that. But I think like in this moment, Lindsay leaving Omer at camp would have been much more intelligent gameplay than taking him. And I get it. Like in those moments, like you want some comfort, you want to share that with the people that you enjoy the most on the Island. But then that is drawing a line to the people left at camp. I'm going to do a wild read of that for that. And it's probably, not, it's probably completely off base, but we're here for the um, wild reads, the wild read. And so like, I can understand that part of it is the politics of fear of, making someone angry by not taking with it, of course, you know, like you say, you taking like who is perceived as my number ones and stuff like that and making sure that they're happy. And that's something that the fact that, uh, Lindsay felt like, Oh, I got to make sure that, you know, Omar, Omar's happy. It's possible. That could be a, 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 a an indication of how Omar has presented himself, that he's such a, a, a good guy. He just is doing right by you. So I got to do right by him. I got to make sure that that he comes on the reward, which might speak to the level which he's hiding himself. Uh, that's a wild. That's like several layers deep. That any one of those layers could be wrong. But uh, but basically, that that uh, seeing it as an indication of Omer making himself uh, uh, um, under the radar. Like I, I I remember I like I talked to Davey and uh, my my season like the first day when we like first day or two when we got together. I was like Davey, let's never take each other in rewards. Do not take me on a reward ever. Okay. I had that it's conversation fine. with yeah. Jervis and Monica. I said, you win reward. Do not take me. They still did. They still did. Because <laughs> in that Davey, moment, they're like, I want to share it with the people I like. And Davey, and what, the one time position Davey was in that time, Davey's in that position, he, he didn't take me. And, uh, which, smart. Which, 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 which was smart. Uh, now, at that point in the game, I, at that point, I was like, man, I was never hungry, but I was really low on energy at that point. Man, I really could have used some of that food. Could have used that peanut butter. I was ice, relieved I, when they chose me, even though I was like, strategically, this is very poor for us that you chose me. <laughs> but still, I'm going to eat the shit out of that ice cream. Yeah, that's, yeah exactly. So it's, uh, 
So the, the politics of that are, yeah, I, I, you definitely don't want to be the person who wins. I like, even when we have like, like when, when I remember I, before I left for the game, like the, thankfully for the most part, the loved ones do not participate in the challenges anymore. Rarely, rarely they do. And I said, I, I wanted to make sure that my partner, Emily, if she did come out, I was like, do not worry about winning the challenge. Do not stress out about that. I probably will not want to win it. Because I was worried about her having to, you know, Ooh, feel guilty. Choosing she that lost will it. be the most difficult. Yeah. Because then now you're playing with people's emotions as well. And I, Christian, this is my dream scenario. This is what I wanted to do on Winners at War. After I won my way back in the second time, this is my end game strategy. If I win a reward and Jeff says, choose somebody, I say, I need some alone time. I'm going to go by myself. Everybody else can go, like, do whatever they need to do at camp. I'm going on the yacht by myself. I'm going to the camp by myself. Oh. <laughs> I need some. Jeff would definitely let that happen because it would make such great TV and people would be pissed, but also you're not drawing a line anywhere. And also the end game on Winners at War, if I would have won my way back in the second time, everybody's already against me. So what's the point of even like trying to cater to anybody? I mean, you had times, I, I, this is one of the more impactful things I remember that from from watching the show over the years is when... I believe you talked about how at the final seven of your uh, of your, of your winning season, uh, you planned on playing an idol at that odd number of vote. And I think you to the point where you didn't need to, but the, did you uh, in terms of going home? But you planned on it because you sort of planned on being a target at that time potentially. That's my interpretation of what yes. you said. I thought that nobody's going to rocks. That was my thought. I was like, everybody's too cowardly to go to rocks. They're not going to rocks. And so this is the moment where I have to play it to make sure Jervin, Monica, and myself are in at six, because if we're in at six, nobody's going to rocks at six, and then we're at five. Ah, so it's a, it a more of a numbers thing as well. That's interesting. Yeah. And and I think that uh, I, 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 I'm to sort of tie it back to this episode and how, like, Hyde didn't know he was targeted. I mean, and uh, obviously, um, and he wasn't really targeted before this point. Should someone, maybe this question for you with more experience in this, Tyson, should someone like plan to be targeted and, or like, I, I obviously never want to be targeted, but like, like, I mean, like what's, what's the right mentality? I mean, I was targeted all the time, so I had no choice in the matter, but, uh, but it's, it's, that's uh, one of like, the ways to play. If you are convinced, if you're convinced you're targeted or are always targeted, then you're always on your toes. Right. And I think that it's a weird line because even if you feel you're targeted, but maybe you aren't, then doing too much will then make you the target. So that's the, that's the struggle you're having is you're like, I feel like I'm the target, but if I scramble so hard to get out of it, maybe I wasn't the target, but by scrambling now I'm going to be the target. So now where's the balance with that? And it's just like, that's like the, all of the small subtleties of Survivor. And the, I think it's the beauty of the game that as the game was created, Producers and creators didn't even understand that this creation was going to be this intricate and with so many levels. And so, like, even like when I got voted out on Winners at War the first time, I remember having interviews where they're like, How's this vote going? I was like, It seems too easy. And usually, when it's too easy, you're the target. But also, sometimes it is too easy. And so is this a moment where it's just too easy or is this a moment where I'm the target and I don't realize, but at the same point, if it is an easy vote, I want it to main, be an easy vote. I don't want to scramble just based on the fact that it's too easy 
it was me. I should have scrambled. But at the same time, I'm like, if I'm ruffling feathers in this moment, it may come back to bite me. And Ulmer had a bit of this in this episode that he said, like, it's a little too quiet leading up to this tribal council. I, I, yeah, so it's uh, I was worried something crazy was going to happen at that point. That was going to blow back at Omar, Omar at, that, at that point. Um, yeah, but apparently not. I mean, and, and who's the perennial target this season? It seems like Jonathan is the one whose name is always brought up to the point where, like, uh, it, I, I can sympathize with the – I wonder if there's people out in that island thinking that when you say Jonathan's the target, you instantly just don't believe them. Because he's always the name he's always that you the throw first around. Name. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and, I mean, was that like I, I don't know if this analogy works for you, but like Sierra on your first season, it like it was like, oh, Sierra, is it Sierra this time? I, I don't know yeah. if that was a similar kind of thing. I, but I, I, yeah, I mean, that could be a different thing. But I, I had analogies in my season for that as well. Like everyone always talked about Angelina. So anyway, go on. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that is is correct. And you're like, okay, is it really going to be this time? Because it hasn't been the last times, but everybody does want her gone. But like, at what point? Um, before we move on to the immunity challenge and, and going forward with this, who would you have chosen on the reward if you were if you were uh, Lindsay? Would you have? Uh, who should she have chosen? Well, I think you have that conversation in advance that you sent leave Omer behind. Okay. I mean, the problem is that Omer never had a reward, so it would look conspicuous. That's the only issue. So you need a backup. I think you need a backup person, two people that you agree to never take. I mean, you take Omer and you leave another behind, but have it, you have that conversation in advance. How about um, this? So, yeah, one. You have that conversation in advance with everyone. <laughs> then when you take them like oh my goodness oh yeah you took me anyway to anyway yeah yeah that's <laughs> wow i like that yeah, man. and then everybody yeah, left yeah. behind is I, like they left me behind strategically i'm so, here you know, to work I see with you, them i see you the geniuses here i, I see you tyson you reveal <laughs> yourself this episode is brought to you by jiffy lube Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
So what's what's next on the docket here? What, so we have the reward challenge, then we have the immunity challenge soon thereafter, right? Yeah, we have, get the immunity challenge, and the, it's the balance bow. Why is there so much balance now in this modern era of Survivor? Let them run and swim and dance and play and puzzle. Because it's good TV. Is it? Because it's good TV. Because if it's like an obstacle course, if it's like running and stuff, you get people who will get like out in front. You put a puzzle like, oh, at the okay. end. It's only that. Do they always do that? Wait, hold on, hold on. Let's not say that there aren't enough obstacle challenges that end in puzzles on Survivor. There are plenty of those. Uh, We need more of those and less balance because they did the standing in the ocean balance. They did this bow balance. There's going to be 10 more balance things. It's like the first season I played on Survivor, there was not that much balance. And now it seems like that is what is the level playing field is balance. I don't think it's great tv like watching somebody hold still okay riley on your mark get set hold still yeah but it's it's uh, it's more hold still no nope, hold, hold the other still. challenges oh okay. just kidding <laughs> come on yeah i guess so because it's close and like the music and stuff there were some good fake outs with the edit this time uh with the music stings i mean like they think play it's easy to edit that sort of thing like oh the ball is close up oh, the ball is far away right it's just so many of them I think that that's the thing that like if you, if you like if they had one a season that was like that, that would be the tense one. But I've seen this. We've seen this trick a lot of times to the point where like in terms of how it's done now as a as a as a player or a former player, uh, you know, the fact having that so many of these challenges, not even ones that are even about balance, you're often balancing like what like there there is a challenge where they had a pendulum on a rope. And you had to you know, steer it through some obstacles. You're like, oh, that's cool. It's neat. I'm thinking this is dynamics controls. This is my field. This is what I specialize in. I, you know, I, can, I can do something. But you're balancing on a tiny piece of wood at the same time. It's like, why? Why couldn't you just let me stand here and do the pendulum thing? It was a game of concentration. You had to throw balancing in there too. So, you have, so they, it's even there's one where they have a buoy and two like like drumsticks. And you stick, they stick in like a bowling ball. You hold it up. Well, guess what you're also doing at the same time? Freaking balancing. And it's like, it's, it, why? They don't why? want challenges going like seven hours. I know you know something about that, Christian. They Those need them fun. to go seven hours. You want Those people to collapse on all fours at the end of it all and say, I am exhausted and I earned this. Yeah, but they don't want those people to be the people holding the cameras. There are logistical issues, of course, with long challenges. Like when my challenge went for five and a half hours, like it, they, I think they had to dedicate a week or two of extra editing time for that episode because they had the equivalent of like a hundred hours plus of footage from it from all the camera angles. And but like, yeah, it's a lot of work. But at the same time, when these challenges go on for a while, people start to loosen up and start talking. And when you start talking, you start to get more character moments between the two, between between these people. And I think that's one thing that the best challenges will do. The people that want the people remember are the ones where there's character interaction. I mean, Tom and Ian, they're the winning final immunity at the end, right? No one remembers the fact that they were just stand, I mean, they were standing there. But it was what Tom and Ian discussed and what happened at the end of it that people remember. He stepped down out of some sense of honor that Tom bestowed on him. Those are the things we remember. At least I remember. So, yeah, take that, Riley. No, I mean I agree. I think that the long challenges are great for for the audience at home. But I'm just saying, like, this is why you know this is why production is like, can we wrap this up in 30 minutes? That'd sure. But now they've got 26 day season. Why not? Uh, you know, make these challenges, earn these challenges. That's true. 
Maybe maybe we'll see a shift. I'd say one logistical issue is that like if it goes on too long, it'll delay travel council by a day. That's what happened with our season. Like they actually push push travel council back by a day. And uh, so that adds some uncertainty to the production. When I, I can imagine what kind of hell we caused me and Alex standing there for that long. But like, but like from the audience standpoint, like I think I think that they got a lot out of it. It wasn't just me. You also had Alex approach to how he was going to win this. He was going to be stoic and um and, and compare this to like and it's you get a lot less time nowadays to see those kinds of moments. Like like uh like now they they will make them harder to make sure they 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 drop off sooner. You do get little moments. Like I love how Marianne. I love her facial expressions when she's yeah. balancing and the music. And just, yeah. It's and then like, even her like expression it, at the end, fiddlesticks. Fiddlesticks, exactly. So you get those moments. So maybe that's enough. But like, I, sometimes there can't. I, I, what I love is when there's an opportunity for real, politically relevant drama for the show to go down at these challenges. I agree, uh, and I think that yeah. I mean, the balance ones are great sometimes, but it's like here's another thing where you're on a balance beam. Now do this on a balance beam. Now do this. It's a balance beam in the water. Now do this, but you're also on a balance beam. Like it's like constant, like throw the balance beams away for a second here. And uh, let's do something really, really, really hard where everybody has to push themselves to a point of exhaustion and then use their brain at the end. I was thinking about this during that challenge. Like even the approaches that Jonathan took, you know, he was doing lots of recoveries, right? And I was thinking, it made me think about, like, there are some cha- challenge performers who are, like, action challenge performers. They feel the adrenaline. I mean, Tyson, you're an athlete. I'm, of course, an athlete, so we both understand. But, yes. the, but like, you know, that some, if you're in that adrenaline moment and, like, you can just focus, you know, that drives the focus. However, it's a completely different, it can be a completely different mindset. You're just standing there balancing watching this thing, which is, I think should be a challenge each season, but like someone like Jonathan, I feel is like an action challenge guy, right? He's like, he's going to want to plow through that obstacle course. And there are almost none of those for immunity in the, after the merge. And that really tilts the scales for someone uh, like Jonathan to be a real threat going deep in, into the game. I'm surprised he's made it this far. Well, I think and this is modern survivor again, but it's been this way for a very long time. You get to the merge and everybody's like big, strong people, get them out of here. And it's like big, strong people don't win immunity challenges after the merge because none of the merge challenges are geared towards big, strong people. Maybe once the mindset changes to, Oh, it's a strength to weight and balance and flexibility thing. Let's get rid of all the slender, lean, balancey people first. Then Maybe they'll start shifting back towards the more physical merge challenges. And this is sort of the idea of a, of a metagame, you know, like that, you know, that, that that's the perception of the players changes over not even just the season, but season after season. The narrative shifts as to what is a threat and what it, well, and how things work, because it's sort of that radius of lies again. Yeah, challenges are important. Therefore, Jonathan good at challenges. Therefore, Jonathan threat. But obviously there's, you know, that's a stretch because for all the reasons that we stated. That shows up on my season. I would try to be like, look, they don't put side puzzles after the merge. There's maybe one. Why? Why? Why are we? Why are we pretending like I'm some kind of immunity threat now? Uh, so, but like, but but sort of that. But that radius of lies comes back into play. You just keep saying it, saying it, saying it enough times, and then people believe it. Like I think that uh, um, I, I want. I, I'm curious about how, in this season. Like I guess we're getting we're past the immunity challenge. We're getting past it soon. The immunity challenge. I just wanted to touch on one more thing. It's Lindsay versus Jonathan again. 
It's been that way a lot. Lindsay needs Jonathan in this game. Despite her wanting to get him out and targeting him to a certain degree, I think the best thing for Lindsay's game right now is keeping Jonathan in. Yeah. So do you think that she will be a benefit? So, so your what's your reasoning? Do you think that she will be she will benefit from him being taken out? Yeah. So before she will, and she will get just deep enough to do an immunity run going to the end. Yeah, or something like that. But I think the second he's gone, she's the clear immunity threat. Yeah, that's true. She's she's been balancing versus Jonathan and all of the balancey balances. And so now it's like, where's she going to hide? If she ends up winning everything or getting first or second in every one, she's next. And, and I think that for her, like, I don't, it's hard to know the perceptions of Lindsay. I'm not sure if I remember what people are saying about Lindsay in confessionals. We do get to hear from Lindsay. I think this is a good episode for her to hear a lot, a lot from her, uh, in, in, including, by the way, one statement at the, I guess we get, when we get to tribal council, I'm going off track. I apologize. No, go but off the, track uh, as much as but, you want. But the, but Lindsay, we don't get to hear what other people think of Lindsay. So I don't know if other people perceive her to be a challenge threat. threat. Surely it makes sense. You're watching these two people. There's only two people left in this challenge. One of them is Lindsay, but we haven't seen people like High was talking about how he was a challenge threat. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember Lindsay being in that discussion. And if she somehow manages to avoid that discussion, all the better for her. And I think she avoids it by keeping Jonathan in. Um, we go back to camp after the immunity challenge and uh, High wants Jonathan gone, even though he can run like a monkey. A fun little clip there of Jonathan running like a primate, uh, which I no rhyme or reason. And uh, Mike, is he pronouncing uh, this word correctly? Uh, He said it a few times this season. uh, Guillotine. Did he say guillotine? That's what Mike said. He said he said guillotine multiple episodes this season. That's so cute. It's so cute. It's it's guillotine. A double L in uh, yeah in. There is a, pronounced like a, a Y. So uh, I just wanted to let people know that we know that it's guillotine. Let the record show we know it's guillotine. And uh, I mean, it's a good opportunity. Speaking of Mike here, like we, we just we we talked more about like who could be perceived to be jury threats. People love Mike. I'm curious. I mean, uh, there is a possibility he did backstab Roxroy. So Roxroy might take that personally. So the makeup of the jury right now might not be ideal for Mike, but at some point it may turn that way. I mean, he's just very likable. And um, I think that his – so he has a chance to have people rooting from him from the jury. I think uh, so. I think honestly if we go back to what we talked about, about there being an underdog to root for, I can see him emerging as that person. So yeah, that would that would be really good for him. The concern I would have for him. And I see Riley thinking the same thing as me. I can read his brain. I don't know. Let's see. The, the, uh, is, is that he um, is being talked about by folks. I think maybe it was Omer who was saying that like, oh, Mike says to do this. Mike says to do that. So clearly there are some people, these, 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 self, these strategically minded folks who don't see him as a strategic threat. So like if they shape the jury, that wouldn't be good. Like if High comes back. To the jury and says, oh, Mike doesn't know what he's doing. He's just doing what I tell him to do. That would be bad for him. But people like him. And I think that that is that's that's hard to do in a game where you're backstabbing people. You could have a tough time kind of selling his game, too, because he keeps saying like, oh, my game is built around my word. My word is bond. And it's like, well, you backstab rocks. You could be perceived that you backstab high this episode. 
Like if you get that final tribal council and you're like, this is my strategy. I was, I was going to play it straight and be loyal to people. And then people on that jury are like, well, you weren't loyal to me. Might not win their votes. I'm going to tell you, Riley, I played enough times. And if I ever went back and were on the jury, I'm voting for who I like most every time, because that's who I want to have a million dollars. Like whether or not they were the strategic mastermind in this game of manipulation and stuff, if Christian's at the end and he's my best friend out of the final three there, he's getting my vote for a million dollars because I want to see Christian out of the other two put a million dollars in his bank account. And so, Mike, there is some validity to if people like Mike enough, that could be enough for him to win. Christian, is that how you vote? On that subject, uh, Tyson, I, did you get my gift basket? Did it come in the mail? Did, did, did that, or is that? Okay. <laughs> yes, that's I, it's. I okay, saw right. tracking for it. Yeah. It's, okay, so I'm making sure you understand. But you were asking if that's how I vote. Yeah, yeah. Are you thinking the same thing? Like, if you're on, a, if you're on a jury, are you just voting for who you like the most? If it's clear, I think if it's clear, I think if it's not clear, and you're like, I don't really care, then you take other things to it. But like, who was your best friend on the on your season? Uh, Gabby, I, I had a lot of good friends like Davey and things like that, but I'd say Gabby is close. If Gabby sure. was at the yeah. end, you're voting for Gabby. Is there a world where you're not voting for Gabby in the end? That would, that, that would be, yeah, it'd be hard for me. And I, and I think that, uh, it would be hard for me not to vote for Gabby. And I think that, uh, and maybe this will answer your question as well, Riley, in that I, when I was on the jury, I, you know, me, I only, this is my only time playing. I'm like, I have my philosophy of how I will vote. I'm going to vote for the person who I feel Irrespective of whether they backstab me or not, I feel reflected the most agency in the game, like the person who shaped the game in their way, in a way that maximized their chances of winning. To me, that's what Survivor is about, doing what you need to do to maximize your chances of winning. And I'll reward that irrespective of where they backstab me. And uh, But it is easy to take your reasoning and twist it to meet the result that you want. So if Gabby's sitting there at the end, I could be like, oh, Gabby did this X, Y, and Z. And I can't rule out the fact that I wouldn't just come up with really good reasons to vote for Gabby for strategic purposes. Right. I, so, I mean, I, 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 I can't imagine I'm the only one who's alone there. I mean, I, I remember, yeah, I'm sure in many seasons that people say, Oh, I, in the, in the, deep down, you know, we're not un, you know, unbiased people. We like certain people. There are no rules by which you vote. There's no procedure for vetting and checking your reasoning. You just vote come up with the reasons as you do so as much as i tried i really tried i felt to take emotion out of it uh but i have to acknowledge it's there yeah i think uh, on the jury when I've, I've been on the jury a couple times the first thing that goes to my mind is i'm not getting a million dollars what do i care if somebody else gets a million dollars <laughs> they're not sharing it with me who cares and then that's when i revert to who would I most like to see have the million dollars? But it doesn't. And then you go to your mental gymnastics of convincing yourself that that is the person that deserves the million dollars so that you can justify that in the sphere of the game. And, and that's one of the beauties and what makes of the, of the show and makes the jury so hard to predict. You know, granted, we know what Tyson thinks, but like if Tyson was out there playing for the first time, like these 42ers, who? How do we know what first time Tyson cares about for, for voting for? I mean, if you have a really good read on him from your time together, I think we get a sense, oh, no, this is a guy with a good sense of humor who doesn't take himself or this all too, like, too seriously, you know, not to, you know, not to have a good time. Maybe he would vote for someone he'd have a good time with. 
you know, or had a good time or had a good what time with on the island. Right. But that's, but that, and on, and me, I mean, I imagine it was probably pretty hard. Cause like I, I made graphs and spreadsheets back at, at Ponderosa, you know, as to who I felt had agency at different points in the game. And I had error bars based on things I didn't know. So I asked questions to the final tribal council to narrow those error bars and the amount of agency that I felt they had were different. And so, <laughs> so managing all that makes it really, really interesting. Yeah, it really does. And uh, I mean, just one of the beautiful intricacies that ha- was not designed in the game specifically, but has been a byproduct of it, a beautiful byproduct. And I think there's so many of those in this show. Um, we already touched on all the things that went down in Tribal Council throughout, peppered throughout. And uh, we like to do a segment at the end that is all Riley's. Riley, before I mean, before we get into it, have we missed anything from this episode that anybody wants to touch on, Christian or Riley? I have a couple of things, but I've actually written them down for the superlatives, so we will touch on them. Okay, we'll touch on them. Yeah, and I, I think, and I think just just real quick, I, I just want uh, I had this on my page just because I, I felt like uh, really solidified to me this episode how good of a narrator Marianne is, and how she and I, 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 now I'm blanking on the metaphor that she that that that, that she brought up. I mean, she's not. The Jenga, there's a Jenga metaphor. There's and there's also how she talked about the experience of wanting to get close to the end. But this is what it actually feels like. She's one of those people that can draw from her own emotional state uh, and analogies that are relatable and package them together with an emotion with with, with energy uh, for a camera. And and I and that's that's. Something the show, I think, is often very good at getting at least a few people who are good at that. And those are the ones that tend to to pop when they're talking because you feel like you're getting something honest. You get something that's trying to explain to you what's going on and something entertaining. And she's got all three. And so I wanted to just I, I, I feel felt the need to hit that before we moved on to this esteemed segment. You guys have talked about there being a, the potential for an underdog. I feel like Marianne. Oh yeah, she got an idol today. We didn't even mention she she yes. found an idol. Found an after, idol after Lindsay touched it. It looked like it t- I have to go back and check the footage or something. It looked like she touched it. Did she actually make contact? Yeah, <laughs> pretty close. Yeah, it, 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 pretty close to it. I was like, oh, that's got it. That that she Lindsay has to be watching that for home. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be. And no one <laughs> knows Marianne has it. It's great. The only thing I would worry about for Marianne is that what she already found an idol. And once you've found an idol, there can be a narrative that this person is an idol finder and uh, that they, they kind of know how these things are hidden. Because, yeah, Riley, well, it could be the opposite. There could be the percent, like a lot of people will think, oh, you know, she already found one. What's the chances that she finds a second one? Yeah. And uh, Christian, I know you know, like it's the same chance Don't or even think. better because she yeah. could be an idol hunter. But a lot of people will think, oh, it's so unlikely that you'd find two. I, I hope for her sake that that is the case. And so, yeah, for anyone listening, that is fallacious reasoning, both in in the literal probabilities, like who cares? Like, you know, you can find another one. But also, like, in the mind, put yourself in the position of a person who's been dumped on the island. You you might, you might don't know how the idols are hidden, really. Like, this season, they might be trying something different. And, like, you, you, you're kind of guessing. Like, so until you have seen where one is hidden or told reliably how they're hidden and why you just don't know. And so like, I, I, I remember I, at one point I was like digging under the water well, because I suspected that there were some clues that were hidden in some patterns in these decorative Fijian masks that were hidden around camp. It's like, maybe these are part of the, of the clues. It wasn't, they're just lying or they're just attached to a tree, you know, but, but you don't know. 
And so once you do know, you know how to look and it probably increases your ability to find an idol, even though Marianne kind of got it by, by happenstance. But regardless, great for her. And she found it quickly. So hopefully people aren't suspecting that. And now the biggest trick is to truly keep it secret. That's hard because it's exciting to share exciting news with people you think you can trust or that you hope to leverage that info. But I think in this moment, she really needs to focus on not telling anybody. Yeah, that would be great because that would that you're talking about ascending and being found out right before the end. She has that potential. If she has a secret idol that no one finds out about and she makes one impactful play with it at the right time, that could be enough. I mean, people like her, I imagine, based on like so she has the ingredients there. That would be that that would be an exciting ending that she goes from being feeling that she was down at the merge and now uh, being the power player right at the end. Yep, I I agree. So uh, you know, only time will tell. Riley, let's hit the superlatives uh, quickly here because Christian, I think, has other meetings with more important people than us. All right, we'll ra- we'll race through them. So we'll do best move of the episode. Tyson, you got one. I mean, Omer's lie to Mar- Mike uh, about being a puppet to get him on board with voting high was very good. It would have been very bad if they would have sent Jonathan home and left High and Omer both in the game. Those are the lies that you then need to eliminate anybody being able to cross-check you. And so I think it was the best move, but only because High did end up going home. I mean, honestly, to, to me, it's the same thing. I mean, it's one of those things that once you put that in motion, you're almost committed you have to. to getting that, make it move it forward. You hope High doesn't win immunity at that point. Because uh, then that leaves a, 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 a big sloppy mess. You got to clean up. Then you have to send Mike home. Travel. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. And, you and almost have to send Mike. You have to cut yeah. out half of it. Yeah. In that moment, and I think like and I can't yeah, imagine. That, yeah, and I can't imagine that's a good idea for Homer, Homer at this point. Otherwise, I mean, it seems to be they're, they're close. So that's so yeah. That's so at that point, you've already pulled the trigger. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that Omar's whole gameplay continues to just be super impressive. Uh, all right, let's flip it. Worst move. Worst move, I think one that is going to probably come back to bite her is, well, maybe not. Because uh, Lindsay was talking to High specifically about getting rid of Jonathan. But if she had that conversation with other people, that could come back to bite her because Jonathan thinks that Lindsay is with her fully. Yeah, it, it, it's it's hard to really pull out like a key dumb move. I mean, I, yeah, I mean there there's rarely like one glaring today. Yeah, I mean, there's those when those happen, those really stand out. Nothing really stand out to me. What often gets people so just to punt on your answer in the most spectacular fashion, Riley. Uh, it, what often gets people is lots of little things, um, lots of little little missed opportunities. Even um, there are opportunities like we talked about. How do you stay alert uh, when you're seemingly have been at, at, on top for several votes in a row? And one technique to do is to have techniques for gauging people's actual attitudes towards you at the moment and sense if there's any changes in that. Like, uh, like what's like, like, uh, like, like Mike, for instance, talking to high and high is going home at that point. And Mike's like, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll just, just do it. Really? So, I mean, Mike is a pretty straightforward guy, but really anything you tell me to do, I will do. That's well, Mike a, is that, also playing to being his puppet at this moment, convinced yes. that high had said that about him. Uh, yes. Also, I think Lindsay taking uh, Omer and Mike on reward was a little bit of a bad move. It didn't seem to really like 
raise any alert with people necessarily, but not great. Yeah. And I, so I just to just close out that point there. The, the point is that, yeah, that's the right, right thing for Mike to say, but it's also could be a total thing that high could pick up on and be like, Hmm, that should they be more curious about who's going home tonight other than just tell me what to do? Yeah. Interesting. It's too, it's too yeah. much, especially in that moment. Yeah. I've got my, my worst move is high telling Jonathan that he found an idol and that also he's going to play it on him to, to keep him from going home, which is something he's not going to do. It's like, this is, this is what Omar was saying. Like, this is the stupid lie in the episode. Cause it's like, he doesn't have an idol. It's obvious. Like Jonathan knows he's lying. And even if Jonathan had bought it and that had worked him not playing the idol is then just going to send somebody to the jury. That's probably going to harbor bad feelings to him. So it's just like, there was no upside to that. And even if Jonathan isn't the one that ends up going home, let's say they both stay. Now, Jonathan is like, you said you were going to play an idol. Where is that idol? Like there's no upside for high in this moment, except for squeaking past one vote. When you're about to be blindsided like High is, you're living in a different world than everyone else. You yeah. have a different you, you have a different, different conception of reality than everyone else around you. So you can start planning. Uh, you're, you're planning this world where you're going to move on to the next vote and planning out the next vote, and then you're sitting eating a Snickers bar at Ponderosa, right? So, so like I don't. I mean, yeah, obviously we I mean, look at it, but in his mind, a different game was being played at that moment. So maybe that made sense in his head, but yeah. Okay, now let's do favorite moment of the episode. Um, my favorite moment of the episode. I've got one. I've got, I think that High's reaction to getting booted was just adorable. I actually was going to close the episode with that. I also think that High, like, not only did he like laugh and be like, oh, you got me. That was good. I like, I love the, like, just the feeling of, of, because I think especially like these last couple casts, they've really strived to find super fans and part of the experience of being on Survivor, especially as a super fan, is getting blindsided and getting your torch snuffed by Jeff. And the fact that High relished that a bit and was like, this is the moment and I wouldn't have had it any other way. But then, because in that moment, you're like, you got to play it cool. You don't want to look like an asshole. So maybe that's what High's doing. But then his final words even are, you know, so like this is crazy. This is great. I loved it. Like way to go. Like, I think that that's a testament to how high viewed the game in the end. And I thought it was quite refreshing. I'm, I, I am too. I, I don't know if that was my favorite moment of the episode, but just, uh, I, 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 I try to think of the thing. I just want to give a, an honorable mention to the, to the voice of God that came, that bestowed upon people at, <laughs> yeah. the, at the, the reward challenge. Uh, the, the, uh, just like, uh, like, like when this, this booming voice, like, uh, like, like, uh, like just emerges from the heavens, that has to be the strangest freaking thing on Survivor Imaginable. You're not used to any sort of artificial speakers giving you any kind of noise. You're on an island, you're hearing the rustling of leaves and wind and crackling of fire. Only these sort of these, these natural organic noises out there. And all of a sudden, it's like there's there's a loudspeaker from overhead. It's like the probably one of the biggest context shifts imaginable. Like there's no you don't hear anything over a microphone when you're on this or over a speaker when you're on Survivor. That stood out to me. And then there's a nice art direction, by the way, and how they they, they you know normally uh, the survivors are very astute. They're like, okay, we know we're getting our letters. Let's go search our letters from home from the from the basket in the picnic. You know, we found ours in like. 10 seconds, like Alec went and found it immediately at our award. Oh, there it is. But they actually, oh, it's projected on barrels. I, at least they didn't see that coming. I don't know if that's my favorite. It's more of an honorable mention. And I got it, but I am pleased with how high 
handle it on the way out. I thought it was a classy way to go. I always appreciate that when people can see it as a fun game that it is. All right. Give me your winner picks now. I mean, I think Omer for me is the clear favorite yeah. at this point. Uh, and then uh, I think he's fun. too clear of a favorite. That's, That's what is like driving me off of him. I think Marianne also has a good shot uh, as the underdog pick uh, after Christian had uh, talked about that. So I think the favorite right now is Omer. For sure, Omer is driving the story. He's driving his his strategy, and it's all working out for him. But uh, it's too clear. I, I I was by the same read. I don't like to read the edit so much, but even I'm thinking like this is like at this point, Omer, if you're the audience member, you're looking at this, you're like, oh, Omer is the one who's running this whole game. Is he really going to run the game all the way down to the end? They very well could. It could, you know, you know, just like they had a straightforward boot tonight. They could have a straightforward winner. That maybe it's a straightforward story. Um, and that said, if I'm a betting man, um, I might go for a more off the board pick, not Omer or Marianne, even though I think that they both have great potential to win. Uh, I don't, I don't think Jonathan, I'm sorry, process elimination. Uh, I think he's got a tough time if he gets to the jury. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm just on the off chance I'm right. I'm going to go with the off the board Lindsay factor just because like we've seen this recently where we had a person who wasn't given a ton of forefront edit time and then they emerged later in the game. We got a little bit of kind of offbeat strategic content from her this episode. Remember when she said, like, I'm not going to touch this vote at this point. I think it's set. I'm going to leave this be, which is an odd thing to include. It could just be because they wanted to show where, but like, why do they need to have her say, who often just says, oh, I'm just going to leave this vote be, and nothing happens as a consequence of it. Like, she's not miraculously blindsided as a result of this choice. You know, so and that's and I'm not an edit reader. I'm not very good at this. But like if I'm going to go an off the board pick, I'd, I'd take Lindsay. Yeah, I could see that as well. The edit lies anyways. Like last season was an all time. People reading the edit were just like completely wrong about Erica. Yeah. That's why I don't do uh, it. Right. It, it's not it's not the crystal ball. Some people think I've, I've been driving the mic train for a while, but I feel like I this episode has made me switch to Marianne. I think that she's kind of perfectly positioned to to play an under the radar game but then also sell her game at the end which is the thing i think mike won't be able to do all right last category who will be the next person voted out we, we got get a streak much. to maintain now because we got Ooh, high a strike a strike yeah. a streak of one you know a streak of one a, it count well it counts for us with our with our yeah. batting average we're taking the streak of one <laughs> jonathan Jonathan is a good choice. Uh, I second place. I would go to uh, an Omer. Like if he found out, it's a crazy pick. I'm going crazy picks today because you never know. Just because like he's such a front runner at this point. Like we've got nothing in the show to tell us that he is any any kind of danger. In fact, he seems to be running this show. Why are they letting this run for so long? Is it because he'll get right down to the end? But that's that's my that's my dark horse pick would be uh, an Omer, but odds on favorite would be, uh, would be Jonathan. Like the guy get rid of him at some point. He's uh, the, he, if he wins, he only needs to win three. I mean, he's only vulnerable for three more tribal councils until the fire making. And um, the only, the, the only uh, thing we got going though, is the, the shot in the dark. I mean, next episode. 
and sorry, the shot in the dark, the, 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 oh, do, the, or die. the do or the do or die, die. The do twist. Or die. Yeah, that's right. Do or die twist. I'm assuming it's coming the way that they uh, that they that they teased yes. it. So, which would mean that there might be fewer people competing for immunity, which might help someone who feels they're in danger, like a Jonathan. So I'm going to say uh, uh, I'm going to say Omer for no apparent reason, but good. That, 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 <laughs> no gamble, no future. That's what they say. I'm going to say Drea because I think that with high out now, Lindsay and Drea are going to start thinking about, oh, we've got only two of these amulets left. The, that that race to get the amulet power is now even more potent because the difference between steel vote and an idol is huge. But she's still sitting on four, the three or three advantages. She got to start burning these at some point and she can steal. She has the knowledge is power advantage and she knows that um, Mike has an idol. Mike has an idol, right? And she probably wants one. So there could be an opportunity to target Mike, take away his idol. She has it for herself. She can play it. I'd be like, if she went home this episode, this next episode, it would be, that would be a a real crazy one, given the number of things she's got in her pocket. I know. The good news is is that I'm almost certainly wrong. So we, we have a wild end game. That's for sure. And uh, I'm here for it. So uh, with that, Christian, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll let you go so you can get to your uh, more important meeting of the day. And uh, always a pleasure. Thank you all for having me. Riley, you too. Thank you. I know you have to be here. It's your job. But still, it means something to me. Christian, uh, where can we find you? Can uh, Do you prefer we follow you on Twitter or Instagram or both? Oh, uh, so I, so you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm definitely more active on Twitter at at Chubiki, C-H-U-B-I-C-K-I. It's uh, Chewbacca's younger brother, I believe, in the Star Wars universe. So. And we get, uh, we get a lot of robotics mixed with humor, mixed with uh, everything in between, which is something I'm a huge fan of. So uh, keep up the good work there. And uh, talk to everyone soon. Uh, you'll hear from us next week. Signing off. See ya. See ya.